Hello. Um, we're going to make a start. Um, for those of you who haven't met before, my name is Anna. It's so good to have you here. Um, yes, Kath's happy to be here. Are we happy to be here? Yes, lovely. Um, so, um, so really, we're continuing our series on the book of Acts um, called Origins. And um, the book of Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It was actually, bizarrely, um, one of the first books I read when I became a Christian. So I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit in my bedroom. I was asking, um, I was searching and asking if God was real. And he came and met with me in my bedroom. And um, I didn't join church first um, straight away. I decided just to, to read the Bible. And I think because I've been brought up um, as a Catholic, I think I probably thought, oh, I've, I've mastered Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, I'm done with them. Let's see what the next, let's see what the sequel is. And I just kind of rolled into Acts. And I remember reading Acts. I remember opening up and being like, oh, my goodness. Like, I didn't realize church could be like that. I was just totally and utterly overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my gosh. And one of the things was I was watching ordinary men and women that I kind of heard the names of the people in the Gospels before, living utterly extraordinary lives, living in a way of actually they were imitating and doing the things that Jesus had been doing. And I was totally and utterly, like, captivated by this book. But also, as well as, like, being captivated, I was also slightly annoyed I was annoyed at the fact that no one ever had told me that I got to play. No one had told me that I got to play and do some of the things that Jesus did. No one told me that I got to live out the way in which Jesus lived. And I was like, I was outraged. So let it never be said at KXC that we you know, don't get told that you get to play. You get to play. This is what this whole series is about. It's about this invitation to us as a church that now is our time to get to play and do some of the things that Jesus did. That's why we're looking at this book. And this isn't a history lesson. This isn't just us like learning just out of like kind of general intrigue about what did the early church get up to. This is an opportunity for us to learn from them and say, okay, what's this going to look like in my life? What's this going to look like in my community? What's this going to look like at KXC? How is this going to change my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Friday, my Saturday, my Sunday? What's it gonna, how is it going to change the way in which I relate to the people around me at church, the people around me at work, and the people I come in con- into contact with? And um, what we're looking at today is exactly that. Like, what does it look like to be this community of grace? And um, what I'm going to share with you this morning, um, I feel a little bit embarrassed about it because it's, it's just not rocket science, what I'm going to share with you. Um, this is essentially what I'm saying is that what happened with this community is that they encountered grace. That they encountered the outrageous grace and hope and love of Jesus Christ. That it turned their lives upside down. These were revolutionaries. Some of them who thought that the way to, to liberation was through fighting and through war. Some of these guys were tax collectors who'd been labeled as traitors and suddenly they'd found themselves in a community. Some of them were women who had never been treated with any dignity, being treated um, as if they were equals. There was just a group of people who had encountered the grace of Jesus and it had utterly transformed them. And it's a group of people that just in many ways just shouldn't have been together. They shouldn't have had anything in common. They shouldn't have got on at all. They shouldn't have been in the same room. 
And what we're looking at is actually how do we as people encounter that grace afresh? How do we kind of live our lives um, gathered around that grace? How do we practice that grace towards one another? And how do we extend that grace further? So that's essentially where we're going today. To practice it, uh, is gathering around grace, practicing grace and extending grace. So let's read um, what we're, um, our passage from today. It's very small for you. It's also very small for me. So we're, you know, we're in this together. Um, so we're going to read two... Um, bits of uh, Acts 2 and Acts 4 as well. So they devote, this is, sorry, this is straight after Pentecost. Holy Spirit's fallen, lovely. Um, they devoted themselves to the, it really is small. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with war, with war? No, <laughs> awe, very different to war with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who had been saved. Acts 4. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that they had any of their possessions of their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful, powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned houses or land um, sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And then it's an example. And this community gathered around, gathered around that story of grace. Um, as I said before, they, they came from different backgrounds, and there are many of those people in the, um, who were gathered in that room or who were um, of one heart and mind. They should not have been in the same room together. They had opposing worldviews before they encountered Jesus. And it was God's work, it was God's work of grace that united them. They had nothing in common but the fact that they had encountered grace. And it was the God's work in their lives that had brought them together. And it was suddenly something much bigger than, the, um, than all the worldviews and the ideologies and all the baggage that they brought into the room. There was something that bound them that was stronger. And we kind of, um, I heard a story the other day um, of something that happened in our community, which is a little bit like that. So we have, um, you may not have heard about this thing called First Fridays, not to be confused, by the way. Apparently, there's a, a Christian dating thing that happens for single people on First Friday of the month. It's not that. Um, but it's, um, uh, it's a, a youth group that happens at St. Andrews, and it's a, gr a group of churches that kind of come together. And it's been started by a couple in our church, and they've gathered a group of 20 volunteers or um, plus from KXE. And they, they meet together once a month, and they provide a fun space for the young people to hang out. And they, um, they do worship, and they have a talk. And they basically just um, like form a community with these young people. And they took a group away um, on a, their first Friday weekend. It was the first time they'd ever done it. And what was, a, what was amazing, um, Hannah came back and she was slightly shell-shocked by the whole experience because it's messy, like it was really messy because actually what you had was a group of young people who came from different gangs in the same room. And what had brought them together was the, was the gospel, was the grace of Jesus. It brought them together. And she said to me the phrase, she was like, there they were young people in that room who shouldn't have been in the same room. 
and it is messy, but that's kind of what the gospel does. It brings people together, and don't we need that? Like, that was actually a weekend before the stabbing in Caledonian Road, where there's a gang-related stabbing. Don't we need the gospel to bring people together? Don't we need it to impact into gangs and situations? Don't we need it with all that's going on with Brexit, Brexit where we're, div- we're a divided country? Don't we need something that's going to bring us together? That's what the gospel does. And where the, um, our culture is going off because of you know, loads of different re- reasons, like, but partly social media, silos and echo chambers, what the church needs to do is be a place of belonging where actually the people can sit next to one another and have nothing in common but the fact that they've encountered the grace of Jesus. I was talking to a vicar in Western Supermare a few years ago, and he, um, he was a really humble guy, but he just had a moment of boasting in his church. And he said to me, one of the best things about his church was the fact that he had such a diversity, such a range of people who shouldn't belong together. And he told me about this judge who he saw on a Sunday just sitting next to an ex-offender, to a recovering um, drug addicts who were becoming friends with the elderly members of their congregation. Like That's what the church should be. It's not about personality preference. It's not about a group of people that you get along with. It's about a group of people who have encountered the grace of Jesus. And this community in Acts, they just would not have made sense to anyone. No one would make sense to them. And, and we're going to look a little bit later about some of the records which um, uh, describe other people's opinions of the early church. But they didn't make sense of them because they can't understand it if they don't get grace. And a few weeks ago, um, I decided to, to sit down and, and read the book of Acts because Tim May told us to. You know, At the beginning of the series, he said it'd be a really good idea to read the book of Acts. So I went to read the book of Acts, except I ended up reading the book of Luke because I did very rarely do what I'm told. But um, I read it, and it actually really helped me with this talk because I, sun- I got it. I was like, that is why this group of people are like that. So Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke, and you can't make sense of Acts. You can't make sense of the Acts community unless you read Luke. Because you start to realize that it's because of this story of forgiveness and hope and reconciliation and comfort and the generosity of God that has so impacted their lives that they're choosing to live in a totally and utterly radical way. And it is a phenomenal story. And it's actually just as I was ending the book of Luke, I was in, wasn't in a particularly emotional mood, but um, as I got to the book, end of the book and as I finished the last chapter, I just started crying and I just I cried for about an hour because it's been so long since I read the message and was totally blown away by it. And I was like, what a message. What a message that Jesus would come close to us, that he would choose to, um, to not be a distant God, but live amongst us so that we could see the face of God, that he would choose to give everything away for us, enduring the shame of the cross, being humiliated, spat at and beaten. And then more than that, that the resurrection, you realize there's total and utter hope that even the, the power of man is futile when you compare it to the passionate love of God. That God makes a mockery of sin and death. And the two things which bind us as human beings are brushed off Jesus. And they fall away from us as we entwine ourselves in him. That sin and death have no power over us when we f- um, find ourselves rooted in him. And there's this line in um, uh, our resource um, called Pattern, uh, which Pete James wrote. And it's this line that says, uh, describing the gospel, it's where the hostility of God melts the... No, sorry. Very important I got that right, isn't it, Pete? <laughs> do you want to come and do it? Um, where the hospitality of God... Very different picture of God, isn't it? Yeah, hospitality. Where the hospitality of God melts the hostility of man. 
where the hospitality of God melts the hostility of man. It like beautifully captures what I know God has done in me and continues to do day after day, that he comes near to me generously and open-handedly, coming, offering his grace, and it melts the hard, the broken, the weary, the defended, and the angry parts of me. I see it. Any time that I put up a defense, he just melts my heart with the grace that he pours out. And it's a message. It's the message of the gospel that should arrest our hearts. And what you see in the, the Acts church is they, they don't make sense um, without the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I would love it if people said of this community that we that can't make sense of them. Why can't I make sense of them? It's because they haven't heard the story of grace yet. That they think that we're a little bit peculiar, not because we're socially awkward. I was socially awkward before I met Jesus. Um, but because they, they can't understand why we're recklessly giving ourselves away to God, to each other, and to the people of King's Cross. And in the early church, you see this determination, this absolute determination not to stray from this message, that they're going to keep the message of grace before them at all times. And you see it. Um, I need to lean in again. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. All the believers were in one heart and in one mind. And we've got to be careful when we, um, we read some of that stuff. You might think that, um, that unity was the thing they practiced, that what they were going for was we have to be this united people, that we, um, we won't bring up any of our disagreements, that it's, it was like an, it, as if it was like an easy thing. But to achieve um, being of one heart and one mind when you have diverse opinions and different personalities in the Acts Church wasn't a thing by accident. It didn't come through wish, wishful thinking of just like longing to be a united people. But what bound them together was that they kept the, great, the story of grace front and center, devoting themselves to teaching, to learning, spending time with each other, telling stories, retelling the things that they had heard Jesus say to them. And they broke bread in their homes. And, um, and then what they're doing by breaking bread um, on a regular basis is they're, they're fulfilling, their, they're being obedient to what Jesus actually asked them to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that's given. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this cup and remember that this is grace poured out for you. And as you take it, you remember fresh again. Grace is poured out on us again and again as we remember the new covenant of a God who is faithful to us, who will never leave us or forsake us, the fresh promises of God. They praised God. They delighted in him. They worshipped him. They did whatever they needed to do to keep the message of grace alive in their community. We need to do whatever we can do to keep the message of grace alive in our community. Do whatever it takes to wake yourself up. And I think that was what um, um, the worship band were leading us in earlier. Of like, this, the Holy Spirit, would you wake us up? Would you wake us up? And I actually felt it like um, as we were worshiping, it was like the good news was becoming front and center. I felt it in my heart. I thought, gosh, yeah, like this is good news that we get to share. Like the fact that um, I don't want to boast in anything that I have to offer, but actually I boast in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we don't have um, a membership at KXC, but we do have some things that we say, like, if you want to be a part of this family, like, if you really want to get the most out of this family, you want to give the most to this family, we just have some suggestions. And the first two are come and belong. 
Like, come on a Sunday, and we don't say this, oh, let's keep up church attendance, let's, you know, have some good numbers. That's not what we say. We say it because we need to come together and remember this story. We need to gather and worship and recall the story of grace, the work of grace that God has done in our lives. We need to be reminded. We need to sit and read the Bible together so we're on singing off the same hymn sheet so we can go out. We need to belong together not just on a Sunday, but um, midweek. And that's why, you know, hubs and pattern, they're not like, they're not going to fix everything. It's not going to solve community, but it's just one way that we suggest, like, get in a hub, get in a pattern. This might be a way that you can start to form community in a way in which you can actually belong to this community, that, you, that people can, like, say, I, I belong to them, that we um, are brother and sister. Now is not the time to be snoozing on grace. Now is the time to be waking ourselves up and saying, okay, I want to be alert to this. I don't want to forget this. Like, I mean, how terrible would it be if we forgot um, and we became numb to, the, to grace? And I think that's what was happening as I was, um, I was crying after reading Luke. It was just like, I think I've become a little bit numb to it. And it was like the Spirit was just waking me up to it and saying, Anna, do you remember your story? Do you remember how good and faithful and kind I've been to you? Do you remember just how exceptional Jesus is? And don't we want to keep that front and center every single day? And that's what the early church were doing. They were meeting together so that they wouldn't forget the story of grace in which they gathered around. And then they practiced grace. And if there's anything that we've learned as we've been doing pattern over the last few years is that you're not going to become Jesus just through um, mere willpower. You have to practice this stuff. It's just got to be something that we, we like practice and have a go at. And we're not always going to get it right, but we're going to have a, a go and keep practicing again and again. And you see that that's what the early church did. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give one another, give to anyone who had need. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there was no needy person among them. What they were basically saying, okay, is how do we treat each other now in the light of what Jesus has done for us? And they were just working it out as they went. They were like, and, and we're still working it out as a community. You're like, what does it look like now? We've encountered this exceptional grace. What does it look like to share it with the people around us? And what you see is that this reordering of the family life happening is like family wasn't then, um, in the early church, family wasn't about blood, but it was about um, the family of God, of like this reordering of like, actually now um, I'm going to treat you like family, like actually if your matters, your matters match, what happens to you matters as much to, to me as it does to you. And what you see, um, if, you, if you look back at the at church history, and there's this guy called Rodney Stark, who's an American sociologist, who's not actually a Christian, but he, he studies the rise of the early church. And honestly, the, if you read, um, geek, um, but if you read about the early church, it's like the, the spread of the gospel through that region, like in the midst of persecution, was utterly extraordinary and embarrassing because it just shouldn't have happened, but it did. And it was like, that's why sociologists have become fascinated by it. And Rodney starts, um, says that the reason it grew so much was the distinct family-like characteristic of the church. The witness of the way the early church loved one another is the reason it grew so much. That is what a person who doesn't even follow Jesus says about the church. It was the fact that they loved each other. And it's a place where we take commitment, we take responsibility of the, the flourishing of the people around, around us, where their success is your success, where their pain is your pain. And I love this idea in theory, but the reality is um, that kind of community does slightly terrify me. 
Because as someone who's deeply independent, I kind of wiggle and squirm in that sort of community. And you might, um, and it's partly because of individualism, but I think that we probably find ourselves in two ends of the spectrum when it comes to community. One end of the spectrum is that we might just get caught up in ourselves. And actually, when we come to community, it's about what I can get from it. And it's about everyone meeting my needs, and we end up disappointed because not everyone's meeting my needs in the way that you think they should, and you have these expectations, and it's me, 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 I, I, I. So you might find yourself on that end of the spectrum, or you might find yourself on the other end of the spectrum, where, again, you're caught up in yourself. And actually, um, it's, it's, um, you help each other, you help and contribute to a community, but actually, you're too scared to let anyone actually help you and help and let people love you. And I think this, this um, I just got a sense as we were worshipping that there's some people, um, and I think they're like particularly in this area here. Well, I'm not trying to look at anyone on purpose, but um, but particularly in that area here where like you're some you're people who are just really I just feel there's someone who's like really courageous. And, um, and God sees your courage and he loves your courage, but he wants to be courageous for you and he wants other people to be courageous um, on your behalf, that he wants you to encounter, um, not that you just have to be on your own, but actually he wants you to encounter the grace of community. And it's costly living like that. It means opening ourselves up. It means um, sacrifice. It means generosity. It, it means uh, the risk of rejection. But the early church recognized that's exactly the way Jesus lived, in a sacrificial, in a costly way, um, even opening himself up to rejection. And it was God's grace that was at work within them. It was God's grace. Again, it wasn't something of their own stirring up, but it's actually because they had encountered grace. It was like it was this flowing out, this movement of grace flowing out of them. And it reminds me of um, the parable that Jesus tells about the yeast. Just a little bit of yeast and bread makes it rise. And that's what happened. The little bit of God's grace had got into this community, that they had encountered the grace of God, and it started to infect their whole entire lives. And they couldn't help but demonstrate it. They couldn't contain it. They couldn't bottle it up. It couldn't be something that was theorized or talked about. It had to be practiced, and it didn't stop with them. Community isn't about what we get out of it, but what are we giving to it? And the early church were convinced that they were following a self-giving God. And that's why you see this movement. And one of the things I've loved, I love um, so many things about this church. One of the things I've learned to love the most is this diagram. And you might think that's very boring, Anna. Um, get a life. There's more interesting things. But one of the things I love about this church and why I'm wholeheartedly behind the vision is because of this model. Our being and our doing is shaped by God's being and God's doing. And I love, the, I love the thing that what at this church, what we don't do is we don't just do good ideas. We do things because we're not driven by pragmatism. We're driven fundamentally by the character and the nature of God, that he's acted in a certain way, therefore we act in a certain way. And I don't want to be a community that just follows cultural trends. And I think, I think studying and learning about the culture in which we live in is really, really important. But I don't want to imitate something just because it's a good idea. I want to be part of a community that offers something alternative. I want to be a part of a community that offers grace to people. That's where coming and belonging is so important, that we gather around grace, that his generosity and the fact that I stand here totally and utterly forgiven means that I get to totally and utterly forgive other people, that I am totally and utterly loved and I'm deeply encouraged by him every day, that I get to encourage other people and love other people. Where he has been so generous to me, I get to be generous to other people. 
And what you see in the Acts Church is that it's all of them playing their part. It's not a few, it's not 50%, it's 100%, all of them. That's why we don't just say come and belong, but we also say serve and give. And I'll come on to giving later, but uh, what would it look like for every person in this community to play their part? Um, so that we can meet in a ch- like this every Sunday, that we can actually come and meet like this. I met with a friend yesterday who doesn't actually go to church. And I just asked her, I, was like, I said I was doing this talk, and I said, you know, what do you, what do you think about church? What's your experience of church? And she said to me, she said, well, I remember coming to visit your church in Exeter. And she said, and it was actually the same, like it was here as well. That's good to know. But she said, what she, what she noticed, she said, um, I'm going to get this right. She said, um, if, if I was lonely, I would have walked in there and thought I'd met God. Because I walked into a room that was full of love. She said, it was like walking in, hitting a wall of love. And all it was was just a very ordinary community where people were setting up and packing down and welcoming and serving teas and coffees and playing in a worship band and praying for people at the end. But she witnessed something there. She witnessed a community of grace. People practicing, coming together, gathering around that grace, a community which belonged together and served one another. And because of that, she tasted grace. It just sounds so easy, doesn't it? But she tasted grace because of that. And King's Cross gets to taste grace when that team of volunteers of 20 people go and serve those young people. King's Cross gets to taste the grace when, um, through the work of CAP. King's Cross gets to taste the grace of God through the work of growing hope. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of, of, of being, what God, what doing what, being a part of what God is doing in this community in King's Cross and, and, in, and here and in our midst as well. And we could... Um, we could have go for like having a good volunteer culture, and I think we do have a good volunteer culture. But wouldn't it be great if we just went beyond good? Wouldn't it be great that actually that every single person, it wasn't just um, a case of you know a few or 50% or, or even shooting for like 70%. Wouldn't it be great if it was 100% of people served, um, not just here on a Sunday, but beyond into the community as well? Where God's grace has impacted us, that we love one another, we serve one another, and we serve our community. And one of the things you notice that, um, that when a church grows, and by God's grace we have grown as a church, is, is you notice that participation doesn't actually increase with the number of people that come. Because what people think is that actually the church is okay, everything's fine. Like it looks sorted, it looks all right. But um, that's, that's not okay there's ideas brewing in our church that um, if we go on our current volunteer force, it's not going to be, we're not going to have enough volunteers to do what God is calling us to do. And I encourage you to think about what is it that God is asking you to do and to serve in this community. And for those of you who sat there thinking, I already do too much, Hannah, I'm not asking you to do more. What I'm, but I'm, what I might say to you is like, when you start meeting a newcomer, when you meet someone who isn't part, who isn't connected, why don't you help draw them into the story? Let's not be a responsibility. Let's take responsibility for each other. That actually to be a part and encourage people to join a team or join a project, you're doing them a favor because they get to be a part of the story of God, of what he's doing in this community. It's not just about filling gaps and teams and projects. It's about being a community of grace. That is the most fundamental um, reason we say come and serve. So that people get to taste grace. And finally, um, how do we extend grace? And I've already started going into this because I just, you know, really enjoyed it. So extending beyond the walls of the church. But how do we extend grace? 
And you see that um, in, the, in Acts, like the Lord added to their number, that as they gathered around grace and practiced grace, that, um, as they preached to the word, that, that people came to faith. And I'm longing to see people come to faith. I'm longing to see more and more people have encounters with the grace of God because I know what it's done in me. I know how the good news has transformed my life. I want to see other people be transformed. I want to see live. I want to hear story after story, not just, again, about numbers, but of lives transformed, of lives changed because God has encountered them, because he's met them through us. Cassin. And you see in, with, the, with great power, the um, gospels and uh, the gospels, the apostles continue to testify. And as Kath was saying uh, a few weeks ago, it was the norm to see God's power at work to heal and set people free in that community. I want to see that being a norm in our community. I want to see God, his power being so present that it, he, uh, we see people healed, that we see people set free, but we also see it flowing out onto the streets as well, that we see people in um, in workplaces or the kids going into their schools and praying for one, um, their friends. Like, I'd love to see that happening, that it's the norm amongst us, that God's power is active, that his grace is powerfully on the move because we're opening ourselves up to his grace afresh day after day. And we see in their community there wasn't a single needy person amongst them because everyone was playing their part and everyone was giving to the, to the cause of the kingdom. It was just like, wow, how amazing is that? And all around us, there are needs. There are needs in this community, but there are needs in King's Cross that need responding to. And God has put within us, he's put within us ideas to serve those needs, to respond to those needs. And the question is, are we going to, A, have the resources to go and do that, but are we going to have the people that are going to have the courage to step on and go there? It's, it, that, that's the question. And there's not a question I can answer. It's a question that we answer together. And I want to finish by looking um, beyond the early church, just to whet your... Um, the Acts Church, sorry, to whet your appetite for what the early church go, got up to. Because you see in the first, century, first three centuries, extraordinary growth amongst the church. And it, it, as I said, it, it, um, it grew in an embarrassing speed despite persecution. And a phenomenon that continues in China and Iran today. And I hear those stories and I'm like, come on, here. In the UK, I want to see that here, now. I'm not, I don't want to just like play around with church. I actually want to play at doing some of the things that Jesus did. I want to see people come to faith. I want to see people set free and healed. I want to see our community, the story of King's Cross, change because grace has entered. Oh, about that one. So there's so much to say about the early church. I just, I, again, I'm just a geek. But there's so much to say. You can talk about the, the fact that they came from different backgrounds, that they, those who were, they were welcomed, whether they were outcasts, and they were treated with dignity. And, and the church often funded the emancipation of slaves who had been mistreated by their, um, their owners. Women were given significance in the church. Uh, the church took a stance in the killing of babies, particularly um, unwanted girls, raising them in their, as their own. The church lived like the human, uh, human beings were actually created in the image of God. So they cared for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the unemployed, those with additional needs, the foreigner and the imprisoned. The church was known about this so much that this is what one of their critics said about them. Whilst the pagans, priests, neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charities. These impious or atheist Galileans not, not only feed their own poor, but ours also welcome them into their agape. What an extraordinary criticism of the early church. And the reason was, it's because there were things like this happening in 252 AD. There was a devastating plague that hit the city of um, Carthage. 
And healthy people were fleeing the city in their droves, leaving everything that they had behind. And this um, Cyprian, this bishop, drew all the Christians into the center of the town, a town where they had actually been persecuted. And he said to them, if we're going to do what Jesus did, so through his poverty we might become rich, I, give, I call you to give personal and financial care and comfort to all according to their need, not only their faith. The people that had persecuted them, he was saying, I want you to give up your stuff and go and serve them. Those people that hated you, those people that um, abused you, I want you to go and sacrifice. I want you, you to go and, um, and, and put yourself at risk by going and getting that plague. How extraordinary is that? No wonder this community was seen in that way. They were confused by this community. And finally, I want to talk about this guy, Basil. Now, um, uh, in one of my last talks, I've talked about a guy called Gregory, who I'd, I'd fallen in love with, and um, yeah, was, uh, but what I didn't tell you was he had a brother, and I actually fell in love with his brother first, and his name was Basil, and he actually, in all of his pictures, he has a really wonderfully groomed beard, which I think um, the hipsters, like, you know, he must use some sort of hipster oil, there's kind of like some sort of plait going on, but I do notice that his, they never really flatter his forehead, but I'm sure he had a lovely forehead. But anyway, um, Basil is one of my heroes. He set up a monastery, like a lot of um, Christians at the time. He wanted to practice prayer. But unlike a lot of the other monks, um, Basil was different. And rather than setting up a monastery in a desert or far away from people, he set it up right in the middle of the city, where the disparity between the rich and the poor was growing. And Basil said, I want to practice grace and prayer right here. And Basil, amongst the other monks, was, was very wealthy, and they gave up all their money. And directly um, alongside prayer, praying seven times a day, which is very impressive, this community, community started educating the poor. It started educating children. It started giving people skills who couldn't get employment so that they could find a way of getting employed. Um, they, they provided a home for the homeless. They um, also started a hospital for the sick and dying who couldn't afford tre treatment. This guy was a social reformer. This was the first Christian community to practice anything like this. He was just having a play around with what God had done because he had encountered grace. And he was, he was utterly ruthless when it came to taxes and unjust taxes and standing up for his parishioners when they were being treated with an injustice. He advocated for them. And what I love about Basil is not just his acts, not only just his life of prayer, but also his teaching. He didn't just encourage charity or acts of compassion, but he was trying to rewrite write the way people were thinking to create social reform. His idea was um, to benefit not just the poor, but also the rich as well, that they might be freed from the effects of self-indulgence and self-obsession. That he wanted to reimagine society, create a culture of compassion, sustainability, oopsie, um, create a culture of compassion, sustainability, generosity, justice, and dignity, all because he had encountered grace and he knew he had to act upon it. And we can't talk about this these exploits of the early church and these passages without talking about giving. And I was going to apologize about talking about giving, but I'm not going to because you just got to read this passage and I can't not talk about it. Because it says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. As you read um, things about the early church, you begin to realize that everything that the church got up to was funded by the church. As you read that, those things and you hear about their reckless um, generosity to other people, it's because the reckless generosity of giving to the church. 
And the growth and the impact of the early church came from seed funding. Now, I'm not an expert in any business models ever, um, but I can just about get my head around seed funding, partly because I've Googled it, and just, just to confirm that this is what seed funding is. But seed funding is um, where small communities get investors who invest and, get, and then get an equity share and a stake in the business. And what, that's effectively what you see happening in the early church. It wasn't just giving. It wasn't just money leaving the bank. It wasn't just a gesture of generosity and, and compassion and charity. It was a posture of the people giving that counts the most. These were people who were buying into the community. These were people that were buying into the kingdom of God, that they were actually saying, I'm all in. I'm posturing myself to be all in and have a stake in this community, that I have ownership of this. This is something I'm a part everything I have. And if, um, if Jesus is right about money, and Pete says this a lot, and I think it's just really helpful language, that if um, where we give our, our money, that's where our hearts are. Well, if you look at the early church, you see their hearts were entirely invested in this giving towards extending grace. And you can't look at these passages and form any other conclusion. And as I said like um, earlier, it, as our church has grown, by God's grace, he's grown our church. But, um, but, but we haven't seen the same increase in the gift of, of giving. And I want to ask you, is like, uh, uh, do you want to be a part of what God is up to in this community? Because there are things stirring, there are ideas stirring, similar to like growing hope and, and cap that we desperately want to back. And everything that we need to have is amongst our church. That's where it is. And I think there's a call for us, all of us, just to think about, do we want to be a part of this reckless generosity of God? As we're recklessly giving ourselves away to meet the needs of King's Cross, there wasn't a single needy person amongst this community. There are needs in King's Cross that we need to respond to. People in this community need to taste grace. So I want to finish where we start. Come, belong, serve, give. We, this is our time to play. We get to be ambassadors of this message of grace. We get to be the, the guardians of this message of grace in King's Cross in London right now. And as we come together and we gather around and retell each other the story of grace, we've got to do whatever it takes to keep our hearts arrested with this grace, this, this gift that God has given us. And then we get the beautiful, the privilege, the honor of sharing it with other people. That we get to extend grace to one another and be a community that just doesn't make sense to other people. Where we, where we are friends with people who we just in, in ordinary life just would never come in contact with. And we extend that to the people of King's Cross. That we get to taste, they get to taste grace because the spirit, we've allowed the spirit to move through us and in us. And the question is, are you in? Do you want to play? Because now is the time to play. Now is the time to play at what God is doing in our community. And the question is, do we want to be a part of it? Why don't we stand? And I'm just going to invite the Spirit to come.